Hello, it's Sarah Archer and you're listening to episode 12 of the Speaking Club podcast. This is the first of our TED-themed month. Let's rock and roll! I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello and welcome to the show. As you know, this is TED Theme Month and I'm being joined by some fabulous guests, including today's guest, Ryan Hildebrand. Now, he's a guy from Canada, used to live in the UK and is now somewhere in Europe. I'm just going to read the intro to Ryan's LinkedIn bio so you can see what fun we've got in store. So Ryan founded a TEDx event that sold out in an hour at three times the price of comparable events in the area, worked with multi-billion dollar clients, makes tasting wine more fun, he hacks radio station reward programs and pulls pranks that last for six plus months. Wow. Now, I think Ryan is currently living the dream that many entrepreneurs aspire to, but I'll let him tell you a bit more about that. So Ryan's been a TEDx organiser and now uh, coaches people on how to create a successful TED Talk. But that's probably much too much from me already. Let's hear from the man himself. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Ryan Hildebrandt. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. And I'm really chuffed that you've been able to join us. Um, I've got loads of questions for you. But before I ask those, though, I wanted to find out a bit more about what you're up to at the moment, because I think you're kind of living the dream that a lot of people aspire to. So where are you, first of all, somewhere in Europe? Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm in Sarajevo right now. Um which is in Bosnia and Herzegovina for those people. Um, so it's in the, the Balkans and I'm, I'll probably be going to Belgrade tomorrow or the day after, depending on the weather and how, how snowy or not snowy the highways are. So yeah, um, wow. that's what I'm doing. I'm Canadian. I lived in the UK for three years and uh, after the end, uh, my, my visa expired. So uh, at the end of my time in the UK, I decided to do some traveling and that is what I'm doing right now. And you're kind of, you're still working while you're traveling. Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly it's, it's easier to travel for long term if you have something to keep your mind occupied. Otherwise it, it feels too much like it's a break from your normal life and everything else is on pause. But if you have a project to work on or a business or, or something creative, you know, some people do like a travel blog. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm doing an online business and a couple other things as well. And that, I mean, that really helps keep me, keep me sane. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners empathize with the, the fact that you always need some kind of project. If you don't have a project or something for too long, you just get a little bit bored with things and, and want something to fill that space. So that's yeah. what I'm doing. Excellent. You're a guy who does quite a lot of things. I think, um, so you're, you're an engineer by background originally. Um, yes. I'm getting the impression from things that I've read about you and, and conversations that we've had that you're not, perhaps not a typical 
engineer, I noticed that oh, you do improv, which I'd like to talk about a bit in, in a little bit. And, and the six month long pranks, I, I noticed. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Quite, let's, yeah. Let's have a quick touch on the, on oh, some my of those because I'm curious. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so I love improv. I started doing improv, not because I wanted to be a comedian or do performance arts or anything like that, but I realized that every, so improv is a great, it's, it's like social skills training. So every conversation that you have in your life is improvised. Very few of them are scripted where you have to read off of a script. In fact, people hate those because that's what a telemarketer does or things like that. So uh, I did improv as a way to bring myself more fully to every interaction that, I've, that I will ever have in my entire life. And that's exactly what happened. I love improv. I've tried to get other people on the bandwagon for improv. Um, and people have thought it's more like, like being funny. And, uh, you know, like they like to be funny people. And improv is a little bit different because instead of you being funny, it's like we're being funny together. And everybody is in on the joke. Everybody gets to, to have that good experience. So improv is great. Yeah, yeah. definitely recommend it. I, I do improv myself and you're right though as a as a comic it's a big mistake some comics make if you try if you're aiming for the gag all the time in improv it doesn't work because it really is a sort of ensemble team game and uh, you're building on each other so uh, yeah it's great for speakers as well anyone out there try try some improv and it'll help your speaking and and what about these pranks then oh man okay so what happened was I was I was on Facebook at work after I'd graduated and I saw this uh, this guy that I know who was still in university, he had, he had written a letter to Pepsi and asked Pepsi, like the beverage company, asked yeah. them to send him a case of Pepsi in exchange for him loudly proclaiming to everybody that he knew how much he loved Pepsi. Basically, he wanted to be in it, like get an endorsement deal with Pepsi. And I thought this was hilarious. So I decided to, to play around with him a little bit. So I, what I did is I wrote a letter to Pepsi with the same person at Pepsi because I wanted to get the name of the person. And then I, I had a friend at the time who worked uh, as a co-op student for Craft. And so he had an at craft.com email address, which is really important. So I had him pretend to be a PR person for Craft. I got this guy worked up into thinking that he was, he was going to get an endorsement deal from Craft. And so he thought for the long, for months on end that he was in a, he had this endorsement deal with Craft because I went to the store and I bought one of every, I just bought this myself. Like I bought this stuff. I made a fake letter and a letterhead and sent this stuff to him. It got to the point where we invented a fake, we invented a photo contest <clears throat> because we, we wanted him to do a bunch of photos. Um, so we had all these photos and, and him making like these, to, you know, for his fake job as a brand representative, um, which in exchange, of course, he was getting these free like, <laughs> these free products that I was just buying and sending to him because I thought this thing this this whole thing was hilarious and then we also invented a fake video contest so we had him make a commercial and and then at the end of the school year there's a talent show and we basically revealed that the whole thing was fake at this talent show. But I mean, there was like several hundred people that thought this thing was fully real and that he had just got, he had just landed the jackpot and that he was this brand representative. But, but actually we hadn't actually sent him that much stuff in the first place. And we'd asked for all this, these random tasks for him oh, to do. And, um, but the best part was like, this guy was the prankster of the university. I mean, or he was, 
he was always pranking people. And what, what and, was his reaction when he? Oh, I mean, he was. I mean, at first off, well, first off, there was like fifty people that congratulated me on finally getting him for something. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't super impressed, but I, you know, like in it took him a few months to come around. And but you know, what's funny is somebody sent the whole story to Kraft, like the real Kraft. And their people thought it was hilarious and ended up sending him actually like five t-shirts, a backpack, and several hundred boxes of craft <laughs> dinner. And he actually did end up getting a bunch of free stuff at the end. Wow, there you go. That has a happy ending to the, to the it does. Well. It does. It does. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, that's I'm that's brilliant. And the reason I got you on the show, though, was really it's a TED-themed month on The Speaking Club. And you've got a lot of uh, experience with TED. You set up a TED event when you were in the UK. Could you? I did. What, yeah. Why and did you do that? What was, because I don't, are you a speaker? We haven't covered this, actually. I'm, so I'm not a speaker. I mean, people with engineering degrees often don't do, <laughs> don't also do speaking. I mean, I guess I could, but no, I'm not a speaker. Uh, the most public speaking I've done is probably being the host for for the event that I, I set up. And, but I, you know, to answer your question, I did it because I wanted to create something that would draw together all the, the kinds of people that I wanted to hang out with more. Right. So wow. it basically was like a really elaborate way to get friends. <laughs> friends. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I never, <laughs> never got a, you know what? I probably, I never got a date into the event directly, um, but maybe indirectly. Yeah. So I wanted to create something. I figured the kind of people that I love hanging out with are people that are that, that are ambitious, that set big goals for themselves, that run businesses, and that travel a lot and do interesting things. And these kind of people also like TED Talks. So I thought, okay, if I make this event, then I will get to, like, people will volunteer and people will sponsor and people will want to speak and people will attend and I'll get to know all of these people. And, and I'll always have this thing on my you know, my portfolio as being somebody who created an event, that created a conference from scratch, which is like not a, not an easy thing to do. No, good. So, and so yeah. did it all happen as you envisioned? It was way better than I envisioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked really well. We sold out in just over an hour. Wow. Um, so you sell tickets to a, to an event. You have to get the venue yourself. Like no one, you're not an employee of Ted. Um, which is, it's actually very relevant to someone who wants to speak at the TEDx event, understanding that you're, uh, you're applying to speak to a volunteer, someone who just really wanted to put on a cool thing and make a cool thing. So yeah, so I, I uh, set this thing up and I mean, the, the speakers nothing, it? did, it was in uh, Leamington Spa, which is in the West Midlands. Yeah, just south of Birmingham for people that are um, based in England. So yeah, I mean, the speakers did amazingly well. One of our speakers, um, there's a documentary on Netflix that's been made about her life, oh, wow. which you can check out, called Kingdom of Us. Her name is Vicky Shanks. And so I got to see that happen. That just happened this year. So this is three years, or two years on, this has happened. Uh, one of our speakers, his talk was the third most watched of the entire year. Um, so it's 1.8 million views now and, and running. Um, he just got a, he got a book deal, um, despite having no previous writing experience. He, uh, he's a personal trainer and a fashion model and he did a really good job on his, his talk. 
uh, both in the development of it and then the marketing of it afterwards. And so he's like that, I mean, it's completely changed his life. That's a great sort of segue into, into what I was going to ask next, which is in your opinion and with your experience and exposure to TEDx and TED, what, why do you think people should become, uh, consider becoming a TEDx speaker? Well, it's, you know, for, for the kind of people that want more people to know what they're capable of, like know about their ideas, it's a, it's, a, it's a platform that carries a lot of credibility with it. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest reason. I mean, if you don't, even if you don't want to become a speaker, like if that's the only public speech that you ever do and everything else is, you know, consulting or teaching or um, you use it to get job opportunities, that's also okay. Um, if you're, if you're ambitious, basically, if you're ambitious and you want more people to know what you have to say, then I, I think it's a great platform. Um, one thing to note is you don't get paid as a, as a TEDx speaker. So if you, if you want an, like an ROI from it, I suppose it's important to get it, not just step on the stage and deliver the talk and like step off the stage and ignore it, but which, which would be fine if you were getting paid for it. But because you're not getting paid for it, um, the result is really important. So doing a, a, a great job such that your message spreads far because it's a, it's a good message to begin with or using it and, and using it to like and pitching for jobs. And it's like, Hey, I, Hey, Mr. Employer, like check out my talk at TEDx, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've heard of people using it for that, like just as a, Wow. As a proof of that, that they're inter an interesting person, I guess. I was um, going to send a CV, but just have a look at this TED talk. Instead. Right. Right. Or, you know, if you wanted to, let's say you want to sell books or you yeah. want, you want to spread the word, uh, raise awareness about your business. Um, it's a good way to, to provide value for people such that you raise awareness in that way. There's a lot of ways that you can take advantage of a, of the opportunity. Um, but it doesn't just happen because you stepped on stage and stepped off stage and, and everything happened on its own. You really have to, you know, you don't have to, um, if you want a result from it, it requires a lot more than just stepping on stage. It requires, uh, a message that connects with, so it requires an awareness of who your audience is and it requires a message that's tailored to that audience. And, okay. and that's, that's a very complicated, not necessarily, it's a, it's a, it's a process that people underestimate a lot because they think that the platform is going to do all the work for them. And that's not the case. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's something I really would like to explore with you. Um, and just to say, I think in another benefit, I mean, just from my own experience, I did a TED talk, TEDx talk at the beginning of this month in Ireland. And for me, um, I didn't get paid, but what you do get out of it, well, is a highly produced video. I mean, that you in do. itself, I mean, that's worth yeah. something yeah. besides, besides anything that comes after it. So, there, you know, it's, it's a good, you get great photos and you get a great, well-produced video of your yeah. talk. I will say, just to, just to give people a little bit of a heads up there, not every TEDx event has uh, as high a quality video as others. So just like the, the quality varies widely. So for an example of this, look up, so look up Simon Sinek's Ted, Ted talk, like the original one in 2009. In that little room. <laughs> it's really bad. The quality is terrible. I mean, he does a great job, but the, the quality is, is objectively bad. And then look at Brene Brown. Yeah. So they're both TEDx events filmed a year apart and 
the the one so Brene Brown's one at TEDx Houston is better. And then look at um, the, I mean, so like actually, like we could put some links to the ones that are filmed at the the event that I did, or yes, maybe will, yours. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one that we did, we had we had a videography team that had done work previously for BMW. They had three cameras. They did an awesome job editing and like the quality differences is obscenely different. That said, just because you have high quality video doesn't mean uh, it's, it's again that the message will spread. Um, I have a link. I actually have a, I have a blog post on my website that shows it's the same speaker speaking at two different TEDx events. One where the quality is very good and one where the quality is, is not so good. Um, surprisingly, the views are not that different. In fact, the one that with worse quality has, has more views. But the speaker, like if you, if you look at his Facebook page and all these things, he's using the photos and the video from the high quality one in all of his branding. Ah, uh, yeah. So all else remaining equal, of course you want higher quality video and, and that is not universal across all TEDx events. It does depend on the event. But it doesn't actually make a difference potentially into the results that you get because it's all about the content and the message, isn't it? And, and that's, yeah. that's what I wanted to talk to you about because you, you yeah. advocate a very strategic approach to a TED talk. Um, I do. And I, and I, I you know, it would have been fantastic to hear about this before I did mine potentially, but, uh, but I'm going to try and get the most out of talking to you today. But yeah, what, so why do you, you know, you've got a 12 month sort of lead in time. I think you're recommending so Why, why is that just to sort of get the maximum potential out of the, the talk? Yeah. Well, so if you wanted, let's say you want, a, uh, you decide today that you want to speak at a TEDx event, um, You'd probably, I mean, you'd be, it'd be difficult to speak at one less than six months out, certainly. Uh, I have a 12-month timeline just because it's a, a convenient amount of time, really, because it gives you some time to uh, develop your, your topic or your, the structure of your talk. It gives you some time to research events, and it, it gives you uh, that, that buffer before the event. Because, I mean, if you, if you, if you saw a, a TEDx event that was happening tomorrow, they've finalized their speaker lineup. They don't, they are not interested in adding to the, the lineup because that's complicated to schedule everybody. And there's a huge risk that you're going to mess something up because you don't have a lot of time to prepare. So they don't at most 99% of the time, that's not going to happen. So you'll, you'll, you'll want to give yourself that buffer because events will enforce that buffer so that they can, they can make sure that all the speakers are prepared. Um, but yeah, we t you talked about the, the message I don't, so I don't do speaker coaching. I don't help people with their tonality or their body language or the picking the right slide or how to walk on a stage and walk backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and side to side or whatever. Um, because the, those are all, those are all things uh, in terms of how you say something, right? How you yeah. communicate. What I focus on is what you communicate. So what your message actually is. And, and so to, to, to back this up or justify this a little bit, if, you, if you're pitching for a TEDx event, um, so there's, there's two ways this comes in. One is getting selected. The other one is your message spreading afterwards, which is the result, which is why you're stepping on stage in the first place, is, is to, get, like, to get people to actually like your talk yes. fundamentally. So the the TEDx the person that's deciding on who gets to speak, um, 
you can say you're the best speaker in the world. You may be a great speaker as in your delivery might be good and you might be really entertaining and, and this and that, but the, your performance on the day is a huge risk. Like people, the organizer, they don't, they can't, they don't know if you're going to freak out or freeze or all these things are going to go poorly. And so that's a risk that they can't control for. But if you have a great idea to begin with, that risk is greatly diminished because guess what? Even if your speaking is kind of, kind of crappy and you forget things and, and you're awkward, people are still going to want to hear what you have to say. And for an example of this, check out Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a bad speaker. He's, okay. he's not very, he's awkward. He's kind of, you know, you can tell he's nervous on stage, but people love what he has to say because he's talking about going to Mars and he's talking about these things that people really want to hear about. So the fact that he's not a very good speaker doesn't actually change the result very much. I mean, same with Steve Jobs. People liked Steve Jobs, not because he was a good speaker, but because he was talking about something people wanted to hear. (laughs) Right. There's lots of people that are great speakers that have nothing to say. Yeah. And uh, you know, in a TEDx event, they, so number one, they can't control your performance on the day. And number two, um, if your if your idea isn't as good, but you're you're great at saying it and you're entertaining regardless, um, they can't sell that. So if you're if you're pitching, if you're trying to sell tickets to your audience and saying, "Here's the reason why you should come," um, unless your the speaker is really well known, like they're a comedian, like a professional, yeah comedian or someone that's that's very well known and has a proven track record like the name itself indicates something um the rest of it is basically just the idea what they have to say or their background and you you can't really say like this person's amazing speaker because that doesn't mean anything until you see them speak yeah and in so so from a decision maker perspective having a great idea is basically is like 80% of the battle. Then the rest of it is how credible you are. And as long as you're not super awkward speaking, it's kind of okay. Um, but then, and then spreading it later is another thing. Um, so if you look at the videos that you watch on YouTube or um, if, if you're talking about a book to a friend or you're recommending uh, a movie or something, you often don't say, well, this book was great because in a third chapter, I just love the use of commas and the vocabulary was amazing. You say, this book taught me about productivity or how to make a roast chicken or uh, you talk about the idea communicated by the yeah. book or by the talk, right? So people yeah. know like Simon Sinek is start with why or like how great leaders inspire action. That's if you want to learn about that thing, you should watch Simon Sinek's talk. There's lots of people that are more talented than him at speaking, but he's the only one talking about that thing. And if you want to know that thing, you should listen to his talk. So um, the, what the thing is about is, is the way by which an idea spreads. Yeah. Um, and if you look at Ted's slogan, it's, it's ideas were spreading, not really good speakers. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's in, they've chosen it as the slogan themselves. Yeah. So um, and you know, if you, if you want to look at, at numbers, there's, I have an article on my website that we can, we can link to, but there's, uh, there's an event in, uh, in Houston in 2010. And there's one of the, one of the talks, actually most of most of the talks in that event were since 2010 have gotten, you know, a couple thousand views. 
and this is seven years later, by the way. Um, there's one talk that's by Brene Brown that has uh, just over a million views on the TEDx YouTube channel. And then of course it got featured by Ted and, and now she, now Brene Brown is a household name and sold millions and millions of copies of books and they're from the same event. So just stepping on the stage is not, is not the thing that guarantees success. Um, it's having a message that people really care about. And, and you probably would have, I mean, you have a hard time convincing me that her speaking is, is thousands of times better than everybody else at, yeah. at that event, right? It's, it's probably, I mean, you could probably pick up a few things that she did better in terms of her technical speaking ability, but the rest of it is what she's communicating. And that's something that people that are speaker coaches um, and people that really work hard on public speaking ignore. They forget uh, what they're saying in the first place. And that all can be developed before you step on stage, long, long, long before you step on stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think that's right. And I, th I think people are becoming more uh, aware of how important what you say is as well as how well you deliver it into mm. where people are using uh, speaking to sell. I think more and more people are using speaking as a vehicle to grow their business. And therefore you've got to get your message bang on. If you want people to actually buy into you or buy your product, I think, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's becoming more and more important, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and so basically, um, you know, you have a, you have a, a couple of programs, but what would you, what would you say is your, your, your top tips? You know, say you get the gig, you, you've got, um, you've got, you've got the idea nailed and that's something that you can help people with. Um, yeah. and then you, you get told yeah, we've selected you mm -hmm. From there on in. What, what would you say is important for people to think about before the event? Well, it's, yeah. I mean, so for, for anything, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned selling because even if you don't have a sales pitch for anything, uh, you can still treat it like, um, I don't know if people are familiar with, with sales copy or copywriting, but in copywriting, one of the things that's different about uh, copywriting versus selling to a, a person face-to-face -face is that in copywriting, you, you write words and you don't get to answer the, ask questions. They don't get to raise objections. They just have to think of an objection and say, oh, never mind. This isn't for me. And so it's, it's, uh, it's important if you're writing sales copy to do a lot of research up front so you understand what the objections are so that your wording is clear so that you understand what people like the most about your product or service so you can emphasize those things. And um, it's basically a function of the internet, right? Because otherwise you, would, you could just sell face-to-face -face or off the phone and you could have a conversation and have a different conversation every time and ask them questions and things. And uh, a talk, so a talk to a live audience is very much the same as let's say traditional selling. You can, you can ask the audience questions. You can see visually if they're confused. Um, it's not likely someone's going to get up and walk out of the room part way through there. It's just polite to stay around. Yeah. Um, and that is very different than a talk that's filmed and is primarily spread on the internet. So if you have a talk on the internet, and you have two people delivering the exact same talk, one to a live audience and the other one is filmed and it's that same audience is individually at their computers at home watching it. Um, if someone in the audience is confused at first, they can just close the tab on YouTube and go down with their day and 
check their email and get coffee and do whatever. Yeah. If they don't like the title to begin with, they're going to not watch it in the first place. Again, whereas someone that's sitting there on their chair already will, will look at it and go, okay, like this isn't that interesting, but I guess I'll, I guess I'll stick around because everybody else is around and it would be weird looking for me to, to walk out of the room. Get so, out. yeah. Um, yeah. So that if you are, so I'd say if you're speaking to just a live audience, the stakes are pretty low. It, if, unless you're selling something, it doesn't really matter. Cause guess what? At the end, people are going to clap. People are going to tell you, you did a good job. Everything's going to be wonderful. And, uh, and that's that. But if you're doing a talk at a TEDx event, it's much more important to like when I talk about nailing your idea, it's not really about you going off in your room and like thinking really hard and trying to think about the audience. Um, cause that's, that's hard. I don't know anybody who's psychic and like, that's difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but what is, what I found is more effective is something much more similar to what people do or when I do, when I do sales copy is do a bunch of research and ask real people what their objections are and test for clarity in your, in your message so that when you step on stage and deliver it and it's filmed, someone that's sitting at home already feels like they connect with your message, not because you're just psychic and really good at what you do, but because you've, you've already gone out and tested your idea with real people. So you know for a fact that it lands with them. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, one of the, the, the best ways, or one of the first things to do is, is uh, just make sure you're, you're testing for clarity. So I'll give you a kind of crazy, weird example. Um, yeah. I, had a, I had a, so when, when I was starting the event, I would tell people I'm starting a TEDx event, right? And I was really surprised. Nobody got it. No one knew what that was. <laughs> Even people who I thought should know it, like I thought this is, this is ridiculous. Like how, how come no one knows what this is? Uh, I thought these were popular, right? And I had to explain it a little bit more. And then I would show people like videos on my phone and they would go, oh, you mean TED Talks? So yeah, 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 TED Talks. What I'm doing is like a TED Talks event locally in this town. And then all of a sudden people loved it. Right. So it is correct to say that I was starting a TEDx event and it for other people listening, you have an idea in your head and you've been thinking whether it's correct in your head or not is kind of irrelevant. Um, it's all about how your audience Perceive. perceives that idea. Yeah. And the only way to find out how they perceive it is to go test it with them and, and find out for sure whether they understand it in the first place. So okay. like one really simple test you can do is let's say you've got a title for a book or a talk or a, um, an app or a business or whatever it is you have. You can go tell people without giving them a lot of context. Like don't tell them what it is and then tell them the title afterwards because that's just, uh, that's, that's diminishing the, the effectiveness of the test. But you can tell people like, hey, if there was a talk called blah, whatever the name of your talk is, what do you think that would be about? Or if there was a book called blah, 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 like whatever your book title is, um, what do you think that the chapters would be? or what kind of people would like the book. And in doing so, you're not just asking them like, hey, does this make sense? Because of course they're gonna say yes, right? Because no one likes to give negative feedback these days. Um, but if you just ask them what their understanding is, then you understand not only if there's a mismatch, but also what the mismatch is. So. That's a brilliant um, tool. You told me about that before. I think this is brilliant. Yeah, and, and this can be used for really anything. I mean, I've used this for like app ideas 
where I've said, oh, this is the name of the app. What do you think it does? And if the name is off, then I know that it doesn't matter if I think the name is correct because the app isn't for me. It's for other people. Yeah. Uh, same thing as with your talk. Um, and there's other, I have a, a methodology where there's lots of these tests and strategies in a sequence so that you can go from, I have some like things I want to say, but I don't exactly know how to say them in such a way that people get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. So, so getting the idea nailed, doing your market research around it. And then once you've done your market research, then start crafting the talk and presumably iteratively test it along the way to make sure that you're still on track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so the, a lot of people develop a talk and they, they do like 80 to 90% of the work on their own. And I would say that's a really risky (laughs) assumption that you're making. You're making the assumption that you kind of know what's in everybody else's head. And that's hard to do unless you're psychic or you share a brain with them or, um, or you've got like 30 years experience test effectively testing your ideas with other people. Right. But instead what, uh, what I would advocate for is you start testing with other people when you're, when your idea is a single sentence, it's not a talk that's in draft form and you deliver it on stage and you ask for feedback or you have a friend read out and you ask them for feedback. You, you test it out when your talk is a single sentence. Um, maybe even a, a short phrase and you could even test other talk, like other ideas against each other. You can, you can have 10 ideas and ask people what their favorite is. There's a lot of ways that you can start that process of, of targeting your talk towards an audience earlier. So you don't have to end up with something that's a little bit off and, and try to close the gap and that, that closing that gap might even not be possible. Brilliant. That's really, so, really yeah. Good. So, so they, so they get the talk, they do the talk and then is there anything you can do if you've got that right and you've, you've nailed your sort of target audience and your target message and it's the right, what else can you do when you've done the talk to increase your chances of getting it viewed, you know, a good number of times? Started, if you start as early as possible to identifying who your audience is, like who you want to reach and what the benefit, understanding what the benefit is for that audience, you're 10 times better off. So if you have a talk and you're talking about your story um, of this time that you did some crazy thing, well, I hate to say it, pretty much nobody cares, right? (laughs) What people care about is, is something that they can apply to their own lives. So maybe that thing that they can apply to their own lives is, uh, they, they get this inspiration to do a similar trip themselves. And that's the benefit. Um, and then the second thing is like, who is, who are you talking to? So there's no such thing as a talk for everybody. Your, your primary audience is either, you know, women under the age of 35 that have a children that have a child or people that own dogs or lawyers that are just entering the law profession or people that are engineers that are now traveling the world or (laughs) people that are struggling to grow their podcast or whatever it is. Right. Um, if you, if you don't know who your audience is, reaching that person is is very difficult because you'll have to end up spending basically a lot of money on Facebook advertising uh, to try to, force your message down people's throats. But if you know that you have a message and it's for mothers 
that have teenage daughters, then you can go out and find those people in Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or um, clubs of some kind, or you can do advertising in a magazine, or you can do guest posting on a blog or like somehow find where those people are and, and then not pitch it as a lot of people pitch their, their talk and you know, they'll say, Hey, my TEDx talk is live and then include a link. And you're like, yeah, I mean, so I have an email to check and that's cool. And there's a coffee shop that exists down the street. I should go there because it exists. So, um, marketing like this exists, therefore you should care is uh, something that may work for your immediate friends and family because they already like you and they already have a reason to want to watch the talk because they have a reason to like maintain that relationship. But someone who doesn't know you, um, isn't going to be convinced by the fact that it exists. Yeah. So they need to be told what they can learn from the talk or why they would want to watch it. And that comes down to something that is, you know, is easier if you start that process as soon as, soon as possible um, because you're talking to be developed for a person rather than for just yeah, I'm with you. a thing that you wanted to say. Yeah. Um, that's probably the, the biggest thing. So once you know uh, who your talk is for, how it can benefit them, it becomes a lot easier to find those people. And then you can put your talk in front of them and say, Hey, if you're looking for a way to, you know, like if you have a teenage daughter and you want to develop a better relationship with her, this is like, I share my three tips in this video. And then people with teenage daughters will go, Oh great. I'm going to click on that video and learn that thing. And then they will share with other people that have teenage daughters and your talk will spread in that way. Brilliant. Really good yeah. advice there. I'm pretty sure I might've been guilty at one point of saying, here's my talk. <laughs> right. A lot of people do because they're, af they're afraid of being, salesy and, and self-promotional yeah. and they don't want other people to think, Oh, who, who is this? Yes. Like, this is just so annoying. But <laughs> if you have something to say that truly benefits people, then it's not that annoying, is it? Because no. you're benefiting them. Um, if you find it hard to get your thing in front of people, one way to solve that is to make it a better thing for those people so that you're doing them, a favor you're, you're doing them a favor. Yeah. You're yeah. not, um, you're not forcing it down their throats. Excellent. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Brilliant advice. And, um, I'm just trying to think the other thing that I think, um, I wanted to touch on with you is you know, people you, we've, I think we've covered off. We, you don't need to be a professional speaker to do a TEDx talk. Um, and I think people aren't always aware of how many TEDx opportunities there are. I mean, it, you still have to apply, but um, there's a lot of them out there and there's some women specific ones as well, isn't there? Yeah, there's, uh, so last year, like, or sorry, I guess we're in 2017 now. Um, so in 2017, there was 180 TEDx women events and they all generally coincide with the TED Women Conference. So if you know when the TED Women Conference is, which you can find on the, on the TED website or just by Googling TED Women, um, if you, if you look for TEDx events in the same, it's the same weekend, they, they coincide in the same weekend, then you'll, you'll know when they are. Uh, normally they're in November or late, late October. Um, but yeah, and in general, I think there's, I want to say about 4,000 wow. TEDx events every year. Some of them will be better quality than others, as I mentioned. Uh, I generally recommend people don't apply for youth anything with youth in the name or anything with a library in the name. Um, the library ones 
tend not to have live speakers and they'll be held in a, in a library. So often the venue is not uh, in terms of getting high quality video and photos. Yeah. Um, no offense to libraries, like big conference halls are often, they often look better. Yeah. Uh, and then youth ones, the audience is under 18. So unless you have a very particular message and you really want to speak to a room of 16 year olds, uh, m- most people that are listening that want to do professional speaking there, they really want to tie back to the audience thing. Uh, it's you they'd be better served talking to like business leaders or people that are 25 and older looking to transition careers or people that want to publish a first book or, or whatever their audience is. Most people that have a business aren't marketing to 16 and 17 year olds, for example. Um, but, but the rest of them are, again, they're, they're all pretty much the same. Um, ones at universities will be primarily attended by university students and organized by university students. So if you have a message that's, that's relevant to university students, those are a great choice. If you don't, those are not a great choice because (laughs) they're not going to select you um, because your message is not relevant for their audience, but all of them, regardless of what event you speak at, all the, all the talks will go online afterwards on YouTube. And again, you can see if you want to get a taste of the quality of the video, the quality of the photos from the event, you can, you can Google it. You can look up past, um, like past videos and past photos and, and see what, see what they look like. And I think if people, I'm going to put a link to your, to your website in the show notes, but I think you, you do have a, like a, a help giving people um, help to find TED Talks and TEDx Talks near them, I think. Yeah. So I have, I have some resources on that. Um, you can also check out the TED. So I have some, some resources on like little tricks and things. Uh, I have an ultimate guide for getting a TED Talk. And that's, that's more or less a massive brain dump of every question that I've ever been asked about getting selected. Um, but like, you know, like I said, getting selected is actually, is actually not the most important thing. The, the, it comes back to what do you want to say? Um, and, and that drives whether people will care about it and, and the results that you'll get afterwards. So, um, really what I help people do is, is craft a message that's great, not even just for a Ted talk, but for, for anything, because even if you have no interest whatsoever in, in speaking at a TEDx event, like let's say you just hate public speaking, um, you can still, you can still use the same methodologies to craft a book that people love to read, not because you're psychic and you just guessed really well, but because it's, it's tailored for them from the start. So it's, um, I guess like the, the one thing I would say or or kind of, um, impart in people's minds is that there's no such thing as a magic bullet platform that will, that will, um, make all your dreams come true and make you world famous. It, it truly does come down to who are you speaking to? Does your message resonate with them? And then getting it in front of them, which is really the basis of, any kind of content if done, if done well, like your, your content and your ideas are a gift for people. And that's what I, I really help people do is craft a message that people go, Oh, I love this. This is exactly what I wanted. You've read my mind. I'm going to share this along with all of my friends. And that, that remains the case, whether it's for TEDx or for 
a blog post or a YouTube video or a book or anything else. Or an app or anything really, isn't it? it yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 And I guess I have like a unique um, privilege of seeing, seeing those ideas uh, spread on a massive platform where you can pretty easily compare like one idea against another and see how far one went versus another. Whereas every other platform, like it's difficult to tell whether a blog post spread because that blog had better SEO than another, or that person did advertising for that blog post or, uh, or, or other factors. But, yeah. you know, two, two talks filmed at the exact same event with the same videography and the same promotion behind them. Um, it's easy to, to see what ideas spread far and what ideas don't. And so I'm, I basically try to take that knowledge and bring that down to regular people and, and help them do the same thing with, with what they know. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for all those tips. Now, before I've got some standard questions, which I ask all my guests, um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that we, we haven't covered that you think is important for people to know if they want to do a successful Ted talk? I mean, we talked about that a lot. So any last yeah. thing that you wanted to say on that? It basically comes down to, you know, um, how well you connect with people. And I don't think that is a factor, a function of, how good you are as a speaker. I think it is a function of what you are speaking about. Cool. That's brilliant. Thank you. Right. Well, let's move on to my side of questions. Now it's, it's interesting. Alrighty. You're not a speaker, but if we, if we use perhaps the, t- the Ted event maybe is this thing, but so the first thing I ask speakers is what's the, the best thing that that's public speaking or speaking has ever done for you. But I guess in this, you know, you, you know, you are speaking to people and your message and through Ted and stuff. So what's the best thing that's happened to you as a result of all of this sort of stuff? Ooh, I mean, I got to interview for a job at, um, at Google and Facebook. So that was pretty cool. I got flown wow. to California twice. Wow. Um, and I also got to, I mean like meeting, meeting all these interesting people. I mean, that's a very, it's, it's like a very intangible benefit and it's hard to put a, like a, you know, uh, it's hard to score like how good that is. But I mean, that was like really, that was really sweet. And I'll like one more, I got to, I got to have lunch under, under Big Ben uh, at the UK Houses of Parliament with the local MP. So that was also, Brilliant. like it was just a really interesting experience. And it was very different from my okay, normal experiences that I'd had as a, as an engineer. Fantastic. So yeah. I mean, there's some, there was a lot of them. There was a lot of them. Yeah. That's great. And, and what, what about the worst thing? Have you, have you got any bloopers, anything that's going oh. on? Okay. So for our, um, yeah. So the day before <laughs> we had a dress rehearsal three weeks before the event and I was really nervous. Um, we had actually invited the family and friends of, of the volunteers and speakers to like, to, to, to see our dress rehearsal uh-huh. um, because we wanted to give the speakers kind of a, like a mock audience, I guess. Yeah. And, um, but I was still nervous because like, these are, these are real people, right? Like there, there's a crowd that I have to almost perform in front of. And this is the first time that all this stuff is kind of coming together. Uh, I went through an entire uh, Tesco carrot cake and <laughs> and a bottle of and a bottle of Malbec the night before the dress rehearsal because I was so yeah it was the night it was the night before it wasn't like the morning of right. and I was I was really nervous um and I forgot I forgot one of the speakers names 
And it just, I got to that point where my brain was just tired. And that was, that was pretty, um, yeah, that was a stressful time. But I mean, it ultimately led to a much, like a, a really good, a really good final event. Like all the speakers, they had a noticeable improvement and it was, it blew everyone's minds basically to your team, especially because we knew like we had seen everybody, all the speakers progress from day one, all the way to stepping on stage and delivering this, this talk. And so we, we knew how nervous they all were. We knew um, all these like internal struggles. So seeing them, do a really good job on the day when it kind of really mattered uh, was, was pretty, that was, it was pretty amazing. Like it's difficult to describe how that felt. Brilliant. No, I, I, uh, I, I run a stand-up comedy course and I think, see, I like, so it's a seven week course and my students do a showcase at the end and seeing them do five minutes of stand-up comedy when they haven't done anything. It's that, is that you feel like your babies have grown up. That's exactly. Kind of, yes. Kind of feeling. It's really nice. Brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And then, and then the last question, um, I don't know if you've heard of a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I have. Yeah. So I always like to ask, because Napoleon Hill had his own sort of mastermind group, fantasy people. And I always like to ask, if you could choose three people to be your mentor from history uh, or alive or dead, fictional, non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Ooh, okay. So I'm, uh, Leonardo da Vinci is probably the first one. Um, I love the fact that da Vinci was interested in, in a lot of different things. And he... Yeah, it was just every, he was just, he was just very curious and he was willing to try stuff and he was a bit of like a, I don't know, he was a bit of a troublemaker and I just, I like the fact that he was so multifaceted. Um, I'm looking for, I'm sorry, yeah, so, so it's, the book I'm reading is, is Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci um, oh. for people interested. And the second one... I would go, so I would go with, so Mark Zuckerberg, it sounds really uh, stereotypical, <laughs> but he's, he's, I mean, we're, he's not that much older than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he went from, from building this tiny little network, um, this tiny little product that people used at one university to having influence over billions of people which is nobody like nobody else on earth has the uh has the responsibility that he does and i think i would like to to tap his brain a little bit and learn more about how he makes decisions because it's never it's never the obvious thing like it's it's obvious to say oh this is wrong and facebook is evil or whatever but when um like having interviewed at facebook and talking talked to uh, talk to people that control how the products work there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're impressive people, not just a like larger than life kind of way, but the the thought that they put into things is is much 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 deeper than anybody else knows um, that criticizes the platform. There's, there's never it's never a simple answer. Um, so yeah, so yeah. Da Vinci, Mark Zuckerberg, and Oh man. Okay. <laughs> so let me see. I mean, I really want to date Anna Kendrick. So oh, okay. maybe I would go with Anna Kendrick. I, I like, 
Oh. Yeah, because she's like a she's a goofball, right? She's hilarious. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So maybe I would I would like be a little bit cheeky and and go with Anna Kendrick. I, she could she's, coach you on kissing techniques. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Anna Kendrick, if you're listening, look yeah. look me up. Excellent. That's really yeah. I like that. No, I I like and like you know, yeah. I like people that are a little bit a little bit goofy. Cool. Excellent. Well, you're a star. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been brilliant. And if people want to connect with you, you on Twitter or uh, Instagram or Facebook? Ooh, I mean, Facebook. Yeah. I don't really do Twitter that much. Like, I mean, I think I've got, I've maybe put out like 20 tweets or so. I, you know, um, Instagram. Yeah. I don't, I don't put Instagram stuff. Yeah. Facebook. Yeah. All people, I mean, I'm super old, so uh I'm, i think old. i'm i think i'm old i'm too old for instagram what? everyone that i know on instagram is like young you know they're no they're way. like 20 yeah i think instagram is for young people i'm <laughs> super old now so ryan. how old are you ryan i'm i'm 32 you're th- you're trust me you're not too old for instagram <laughs> <laughs> i don't know now that's that's probably the most shocking thing i've heard today <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. I'll put your uh, contact uh, if they want to find out more about uh, how to get your first TED talk and getting yeah. in terms of ideas. Yeah. Well, thank you again and have fun on your travels. Are you eventually Ooh, getting you. back to Canada or are you staying traveling for a while? I mean, yeah, I'll eventually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never say never, right? So, like, of course, I'll go back to Canada because that's where my family lives. But right now I don't have an apartment. So all my stuff is in storage somewhere in the UK, actually. Wow. So I'm uh, taking advantage of a time where I can, can travel easily because of the fact that I don't pay rent. So Fantastic. Fantastic. That is what I'm doing. Well, have fun and stay safe. And thank you very much again. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. No worries. Take care. Well, there you go. I hope you found that useful. Some great tips from the very ancient Ryan Hildebrand. Blimey, if he's old, God knows what that makes me. I might as well go and throw myself in a freshly dug hole now. <laughs> anyway, as ever, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you making time to have a listen to this podcast. And as I always say, if you want to get these regularly, make sure you subscribe. We've got some fantastic guests coming up, not just this month, but next month and the, and the future months. And also some teaching solo shows from me. You'd be mad to miss out. And if you like the show, leave a comment, leave a rating. It would be really helpful in getting the word out about the podcast and helping other people who want to improve their speaking get some great tips as well. Have a fantastic week. Don't forget, grab life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register... Go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.